0: And welcome to episode twenty nine of Three Course Politics. I'm Josh, and I'm Hills. And this is our post DNC pod. A little preview of the RNC. Uh, got a lot of things to cover, Hills. It's been a while. How, how are you? Uh, I've been I've been good. how How are you doing? Doing all right. Doing all right. It's uh, we have like what seventy days until the twenty twenty election. So no one's counting. <laughs> <laughs> no. So a lot lot going on uh, for your podcast today. Your appetizer is all about the USPS and how we need the postal system to survive uh, in November. Your entree is going to be winners and losers of the DNC. Your life under lockdown section is going to be all about the price of streaming services. And your dessert is the shit show of the RNC. But before we get started, have you subscribed? Please do so now. It'll help you get you the episodes quicker. All you have to do is go to our podcast wherever you're you're listening and hit the subscribe button. If you want to go one step further and rate us and be honest, it will really help spread the word. Um we're here to keep doing podcasts and keep uh keeping you guys informed. So, help us out if you can.
1: Yeah, I mean it would it would uh, be great if you could spread the word and I just want to on the USPS it is so on brand for 2020 that we have to talk about the United States Postal <laughs> Service. And I've talked about the United States Postal Service now than I think ever in my life, so.
0: Yeah, that is very 2020 to talk about the Postal Service, because what else could go wrong?
1: Yeah, seriously.
0: Well, you're going to move on to your pre-dinner shot. Hills has an excellent question, and that is coming up now.
1: All right, everybody, your pre-dinner shot question. Here's your question today. How many people attended Obama's nomination acceptance speech at the 2008 Democratic National Convention? Again, how many people attended Obama's nomination acceptance speech at the 2008 DNC? And I I think this broke the record for the attendance of an acceptance speech, by the way. So I remember watching this on TV. It was just
0: like it was yesterday. Now, Hills, when you say people attended, do you mean attended on Zoom or attended in person? Because attending something in person seems like something that will never happen again.
1: <laughs> well, considering that Zoom was probably just a idea in, in the founder's mind <laughs> at that point, they were probably in, in college at that point, uh, attended in person. How many people attended in wow. person to his acceptance wow. speech?
0: That is crazy. That is crazy. The, the answer will surprise you. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you, Hills, for that, for that question. You guys will hear it at the end of the podcast. And we have your appetizer coming up right now.
1: Welcome to your appetizer today. And it's all about Trump, Trump's attacks on the USPS and what it means for our democracy, our lives and everything we hold and love and care about. (laughs) So let's start. Let's start about this. So what's been happening with the USPS and what's what's been going around the news? Number one, Trump, Trump's donor, his name is Louis DeJoy. Became postmaster general in June of this year and immediately started to mess everything up. He, he got confirmed and he went in and started taking a hatchet to everything that was built. He's removed many sorting machines, high volume envelope sorters from facilities around the country, notably in Michigan, Florida, and various corners of the Northeast. He also has removed the drop boxes, you know, the blue boxes that you put your mail in. In many states around the country, there are photos everywhere of these boxes being piled up and put into, put onto trucks, and it's it's pretty scary. He also forbade overtime, uh, because that's how the USPS deliver mail, because I think they just are understaffed, and they have a lot of mail to deliver, and, and the USPS has stopped sorting mail at a certain time, which leads to a lot of mail getting backed up because they used to be working overtime to sort mail and make sure it was all delivered and postal workers used to deliver all the mail that they had every day. So that's partially why the mail has gotten so backed up, because there's no more overtime. The joy came out last week under a ton of pressure from Democrats and Republicans, surprise, surprise, and said overtime will be, quote, approved as needed, unquote, and all changes will be stopped ahead of the November election. He also said that he will commit to delivering election mail, like it's high, high priority. But he's not undoing any of the changes. <laughs> he's keeping all the changes. He came in, changed everything, people didn't like it, and said, I'll stop now, but I'm not going to change anything back. DeJoy has assured Americans that the post office can handle all mail-in ballots. This is coming after 40 postmasters in 46 states said to the governors and the secretaries of states, that they could not assured mail would be delivered in time for the election. So lots of backtracking here. The Senate held a hearing with him on Friday, and the House is holding one today on Monday, the 24th, and the House voted to give the Postal Service $25 billion on Saturday, although it's probably not likely to be approved by the Senate. So that's, where, that's what happened so far. Josh, you want to add your thoughts there?
0: Yeah, um, you know, it's crazy when you think about The post office, which has a 91% approval rating amongst Americans, and Trump is attacking the postal office and making sure that uh, people can't get their ballots on time. But the post office does so much more than just, you know, ballots. They deliver paychecks. They deliver medicines. They deliver stuff that veterans need. And so to attack the post office, all because he's worried about um, voting, which he himself and Melania both do, is absolutely crazy. This Louis DeJoy guy has no uh, experience running any kind of post uh, postal office or anything. He's a business person. And he claims he's making all these uh, cuts because the post office is losing money. Well, it's a service. And a service is not a business. A service is, is okay to lose money because it's serving the people. Is the military losing money? Absolutely. It's absolutely insane. And it's just one more thing that we should never have to deal with and under a normal presidency wouldn't have to deal with it so you know i think it's good that democrats are holding his feet to the fire and you know have called him in to testify and have passed this budget it doesn't seem likely that republicans will pass it and if they don't it's up to democrats to keep the pressure up and make those attack ads of why is why are the republicans holding up the post office why are they holding up your your medicine your paychecks you know your important bills you know the world will continue to move on even though you're getting your mail slower and slower. I think that's something that Democrats should continue to um, to attack the Republicans.
1: Yeah, I mean, this has been the MO of the Trump administration, honestly. You put someone who's unqualified into the role. The person destroys all the things that the government does well. And then it comes out that the agency is underperforming. And then Trump says this isn't working, so we're ending it, right? It's a self-sabotage. It's a way of... Uh, <laughs> destroying the government from within by making it not work and then providing a basis for them to end it. I mean, this guy has, Louis DeJoy has contracts. He, I think he owns a logistic firm uh, and he has contracts with the USPS and now he's in charge of the USPS. Like, yep. I mean, this, is, this, is, this shouldn't surprise anyone. But Josh, you just hit on a couple of uh, points of why it really matters. I mean, over 30% of the country wants to vote by mail, which is a huge sum of all voting age people and uh, including a majority of Democrats in states around the country are are planning to vote by mail. So this is a huge, huge deal. Slowing down the mail equals less votes returned by the day they need to and less votes counted or thrown out. So it's a very simple calculus, and and Josh, you just said it. Trump admitted on Fox News that the changes meant that vote by mail won't be happening. He literally said it. I mean, he's the type of guy who says the... The whole insidious plot out loud because he's just an idiot
0: uh and hills one other thing i want to mention is even if okay let's just say under some miracle the post office gets more funding or the post office is actually able to process all these mail-in ballots right you have voters who either didn't vote before or are disillusioned and dissatisfied and don't want to vote now who don't want to go stand in line during a pandemic are saying well what's the point of voting by mail the president is saying that he hasn't wanted to happen so even if i vote by mail i'm just wasting my time because my mail my vote won't even reach the the county that's counting it because the president has said that voting by mail isn't going to happen so just making the threat even if let's say everything goes perfectly and even if you know. DeJoy reinstalls mailboxes and allows overtime, which I think he said he was going to allow overtime to continue now um, after at least in his comments on Friday. But even if that happens, right, you have you, you may have thousands and thousands of people who are saying, "Well, I was going to vote, but now what's the point? Because it doesn't matter because the president isn't going to let my vote happen anyway. So I'm just going to not vote, right? I I wasn't really enthusiastic to vote in the first place, and now they're making it harder because it my uh, mail my mail-in ballot won't even get to the county on time. So what's the right. point? So just the the threat alone, right, is so important in terms of uh, Trump's strategy. And regardless of what actually happens or not, just making the threat itself is already a huge threat to democracy.
1: Yeah, I I, I think you're exactly right. I mean, majority of Democrats want to vote by mail, right? <laughs> and if Democrats can't vote, and the Republicans, by large majorities, are going to vote in person, then you suppress the vote, and you suppress Biden from winning. Trump knows he has a better shot at winning if fewer people vote, because his people are going to turn out. So let's even say the devil's advocate, let's say, like, okay, there needs to be changes at the USPS, blah, 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 right? Why wouldn't DeJoy just wait until the election's freaking over? Because there's no, because, it's because Trump told him to do it. That's why. Or he's doing it to help Trump. Like, there's no reason not to wait about these, quote, efficiencies the year of the election happening. I mean, it, there's no, no explanation for it, uh, other than Trump hates democracy, which he does. <laughs> and so what's planned? What happens now that our postal service system and drugs for, you know, medicine for people, people's payments, people's, everything goes through the USPS. What's planned? It's to be seen if the law compels DeJoy to restore the machines or it's it's passed by—the funding is passed by the Senate. Trump threatened to, a to veto unless he got something he wanted, which is not—this is not a Democrat versus Republican issue. This should be—I mean, Republicans have been feeling the heat, I think, from some of their constituents about the mail taking a while. So I think Republicans might end up cracking on this at the end of the day. I mean, I think— uh, a good chunk of Republicans voted with the Democrats for additional funding from USPS in, in blue and in like purple districts. So I think this could be a big issue. Vote by mail needs to be watched very carefully. And thanks to the immediate pressure, um, these changes were stopped before they could get any worse. As Josh, Josh, you said it perfectly. I wish we would have gone after the GOP senators that are in these purple di- these purple states or on in tough seats and implicate implicated them on this because i think how we get the funding through the senate is by pressuring these senators because if they're gonna if they tell mcconnell i need to vote for this either you need to make it happen or i'm going to vote with the dems he's going to make it happen um and if you plan oh yeah yeah i mean if you plan on voting by mail request it early send it back early draw or drop off at your polling station or polling place early and just do it early and get the job done. So I think that's that's kind of what's going on.
0: The end of August now, now's a great time. It doesn't take very long at all. Now's a great time to request to request your, your mail-in ballots. And as soon as you get it, fill it out. It takes maybe two minutes and then drop it off. And by dropping it off early, you make it so that the post office is not having to deal with getting millions and millions of ballots, you know, right on election day. Um, Or if you don't want to drop it off uh, early, then you can drive it to um, your polling site um, is the place that you can drop it off. You can drop it off in in one of those drop boxes if you still have one in your county. Um, And if voting by mail is not for you, then do uh, in-person early voting, right? Try and limit how long those lines are on uh, election day. One other thing that helps I think we should talk about here is quickly is that there is a very real chance... That on November third we will not know who the winner is, because mail in ballots take a long time to count, especially if everyone's sending them in a couple days before the election or on the or on the day of the election. So um, we'll talk about this in, in a later pod probably, but just uh, you know be patient um, on November third, which is an easy thing to say now, and on third we're going to want a winner, but be be, be patient and realize that. It's okay if you don't know the winner and that your ballot was counted as long as you did everything right and got everything in early. Um, and uh, you may not get the little I voted sticker. Um, but you know what? Maybe Hills and I will send you a sticker if you prove to us that you, you voted. Maybe we'll start sending out a sticker ourselves. Yeah, it
1: could be a three-course politics voter. I voted. Yeah, <laughs> I think you're right. Oh, we may not know the, We may not know the winner on election night, but I think if we do know the winner on election night, it's going to be a big win hopefully in the way of biden <laughs> yeah that would be terrible.
0: god willing that'd be freaking terrible <laughs> uh
1: save the usps and uh make sure your legislators whoever they are uh know that you want to save the usps and make sure they know that's all we could do
0: yep absolutely
1: well with this uh i know you have been waiting for the winners and losers of the dnc and you're going to be hearing about that right now
0: So here is your entree. We're going to talk about the winners and the losers of the 2020 Democrat National Convention. So the convention was held last week and Hills and I watched every minute of it and loved about 99% of it. Uh, And so we're going to take you through who we think the winners and the losers are of the convention. So the first primary winner that we want to talk about is Joe Biden. I think even before building up to his speech, you got the sense from everybody That Joe Biden is a kind and decent person, and decency and character matter in the 2020 election. Um, Everyone had only really nice things to say about him. Um, They made the case not only for why Donald Trump cannot be president, but also why Joe Biden should be president. His speech was the best speech that I have ever seen from him. Um, He was presidential, the tone was right. I think the length of the speech, he was like 25 minutes, and it was half of what Hillary spoke for um, in 2016. I think that's what, you know, we're on technology so much these days that I don't think we have time or the attention span for a 50-minute speech. I think a quick 20, 25 minutes, and I'm just going to lay it out for you. And I like that Joe Biden was, he kind of treated that as a presidential address from the Oval Office. It struck the right tone, talked about what he was going to do, and why Trump uh, is too dangerous to be left in office. And I love that he didn't mention Trump by name. We all know who Joe Biden's talking about when he says the president or this president. But not saying President Trump or Mr. Trump or Donald Trump, I think uh, really is a very, very powerful tool. And I'm glad that he did it that way. Um, Hills, do you have any thoughts about Joe Biden?
1: Yeah, he's the definite winner of the the convention this year. <laughs> I mean, what a what a way to... Um, he was vice president, and now he's the presidential nominee. And I think you're, you're right on his speech. I really liked the light versus dark imagery. I thought he was very clear. He was consistent. You knew and you felt that he meant it. He wasn't just delivering a speech. He, like, really right. meant what he was saying. And uh, there were lots of really great bios on him. It, you really got to know who Joe Biden was, which I think has improved his favorability rating. But the whole convention was about Joe Biden and... And he's the nominee now, and I think we saw a preview of what he's going to be campaigning about in his speech. He, he listed four key areas, which was climate change, the coronavirus, jobs, and racial justice. And I think he's going to center his presidency on those four key things. So I think we're going to be hearing more about this. But look, this was Joe Biden's convention in a really weird year. And he this and he delivered it. And on the on the short speech, it'd be it's amazing to, to I'm sure the 52 minutes was some of like the stop, the stopping and the cheering and the chanting, uh, which I think is fun. But also, you know, we don't need 52 minute speeches anymore.
0: No, we don't. And, you know, it was I, I think uh, he did a nice job, Biden did, of uh, we'll, cu- we'll get to Trump in a second in the dessert. But Biden let each person kind of have their moment and didn't try to outshine the other person he knows that, you know, we're all in this together and, and uh, everyone is going to play a role. So I like that everyone had their own separate time to kind of own the spotlight. So I think big win for Biden coming out of it. There was a poll that came out yesterday that saw his, his ability go up 10 points. Um, now, we have yet to see a poll that will show that Biden is, has expanded his lead. His lead has remained pretty consistent. But if his favorability goes up, people will feel better about voting for him. So that is a huge win, I think, that you mentioned, Hills, uh, through the DNC. Um, But who was another winner out of the DNC, Hills?
1: Well, if we have number one being Joe Biden, number two was Kamala Harris, right? So this was Kamala's big chance on the national stage. Of course, she ran in the primaries for president. But now she's the VP pick. She accepted her nomination, and we got to know more about who Kamala was on a really big stage and she followed Obama in terms of the speeches and Obama is probably the toughest act you'll ever <laughs> you'll ever follow. <laughs> but I think she really ne- did what she needed to do. She needed to introduce herself, she needed to share her story, she needed to attack Trump and she needed to support Joe. And I think her speech, while it was nothing that I think we are I'm repeating in my head just because of all the different speeches that were there she she was strong. She introduced herself. She was poised. I think it was everything you can want from a vice presidential pick, and especially being the historic nature of her candidacy, she delivered it thoughtfully and empathetically. And honestly, she established herself as a presence as the running mate of Joe Biden. So for Kamala Harris, I don't know what more you can do to have a really great convention than she did.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, part of the moment was simple fact that here we have nominating uh, the first African-American, first Asian-American woman as a vice presidential candidate that just the history in that is already is already so big. It's already a win. Right? And all we need Kamala to do is just get up there and, like you said, introduce herself, attack support, uh, attack Trump, support Joe. Um, with all the things that, that she did, I think she showed that she, uh, that, that she is ready for the vice presidential debate that uh, when she Takes on Pence, and yeah, I think she had a really, really, really good speech. Um, did exactly what she should have done. Couldn't ask anything more from from Kamala Harris.
1: Yeah, and and Josh, do you wanna do you want to go into who number three is on the winner?
0: So, number three is Michelle and Barack Obama. I mean, wow! What more can you say about uh, the Obamas? They continue to be the best messenger. From the democratic party both michelle and barack continue to be um you know the most popular and the best mobilizing speakers that the democrats have you know you can mess around with the order but i think michelle barack and biden you know joe biden all like those three speeches were the top three of, of the convention um starting with, with michelle um you know, her speech on, on Monday was phenomenal. It's the most pointed attack anyone has, any sitting first lady or a former sitting, a former first lady has made on a, on a sitting president. Uh, you know, she laid out the fact that Donald Trump is just not capable of being president. And she used his own words against him, said it is what it is. Right. And the thing that made Michelle's speech so so powerful is that Americans know most of us know that Michelle Obama does not like politics. And she made that point a number of times in her speech. She does not like politics, right? And so for her to get up there and make a a very political speech speaks volumes kind of about where our country is. I don't know about you, Hills, but for me, it, it didn't seem like it was the speech from Michelle Obama at a hall. It seemed like it was a close friend talking to me about the importance of this upcoming election.
1: Yeah, I it was. It was it, I loved the way she delivered her speech. It was it was very empathetic. It was also like not shouting. It was very quiet, like low in terms of like conversational in a way. And I mean the, the line that is replaying in my head about the DNC is it is what it is. And it's the way that she delivered it and the mm-hmm. way that she she just showed, you know, what if 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 you don't love Biden, that's something else, right? But this man is not the president we need for us and for you and your family. And I think she delivered it. I mean, I, to me, I think she's the—I agree with you. She's the, she's the winner of the DNC this year in terms of the speeches. And Obama Obama gave a really forceful and, and long speech, too. And uh, before the convention, there were I think I, there was a poll that 92% of Democrats wanted to hear from the Obamas this year. And boy, did they deliver in support of Joe Biden and— you know, it just shows how strong a force they are in the party for good or for bad. But uh, if you want if you want messengers, they kind of played the Clinton role in 2012. I, you remember in 2012, mm-hmm. Clinton gave a really long speech about Obama and how good he was. And I think that really sealed the deal for him with a lot of people. So I, I think these two speeches have really revved up Democrats to support Joe Biden and get Trump out of the, the, the Oval Office.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And you know, Michelle saying, I've seen the toll that being the president takes on you. Lots of Democrats are like, well, Donald Trump is this and that and this and that and racist and big. And it's like, yeah, of course, he's all those things. Right. But Michelle Obama making the point that he he actually cannot do any better than than what he's doing now is a huge point. And, and Barack picked up on it, you know. You know, I think I love that Barack started by saying I had no I you know I, I knew that my predecessor was not going to keep all the policies that I you know uh, initiated but I, I, I had hoped that he would at least rise up to or show some level of interest in being the president and he hasn't done it because he can't do it I think that point the Obama's making of not only is Donald Trump not doing this, he's actually incapable of doing this. Like he cannot do the job needed. Uh, I think drives home the point that look, there's no point in giving Trump four more years because he can't do it. So giving him an extra four years is not going to suddenly improve. He's not going to all of a sudden become presidential. That was a big thing in 2016. Of is this the moment that Trump became presidential? And each and every time, it's no, it's not because he can't do it. And the Obamas drove that point home, right? Don't vote for Trump and only see all these horrible things, but he will never be the kind of president that you hope that he would be, that you think he might be. He will never be that president. We have to vote for, for, for someone else. We have to vote for Joe Biden. Their speech was phenomenal.
1: I watched Obama's speech again. I watched Obama's <laughs> speech again, and I watched some certain parts of Michelle's speech again as well. And they really connected on an emotional level which I think if you're if you're doing a virtual program like the DNC you need to connect with people on an emotional level when they're sitting on their couches and I mean mission accomplished for both of them.
0: <laughs> yeah, two two small things before we get to the next thing. One is Obama made a great point about uh, I should say Brock made a great point about democracy is literally on the line in 2020 and you know he understands if you're if you're upset or you're sick with politics but you have to actually vote. And he went through all the hardships that previous people have gone through, especially African-Americans. And if they were able to still get out and vote, then you can do the same. I think that was a really good point. The second thing is uh, Obama, you know, he he gave this the backdrop of his speech was he was at the Museum for the American Revolution. He had a big constitution, right, in Mm -hmm. like the the background, Mm -hmm. which I think kind of plays into, you know, Trump doesn't know what he's doing. You know, here's the Constitution. And then, as he's done so many times, he just, like, looked right into the camera and just spoke to us. And, you know, I think he got a little emotional at times, but, I mean, this means a lot to him. You know, this is the state of democracy, and Obama's always been about what can you do and the power that you have. Um, I think he was really trying to energize those voters that came out for him in 2008 and 2012 to come out w- one more time for, for Joe Biden. So, um Really well done by the Obamas. Um, we can move on, though, Hills, to the next winner.
1: Can't can't really follow up after the Obamas, but I think the winner, <laughs> the fourth winner of the DNC, is the DNC itself, the the planning committee. I mean, they put on a fantastic show during COVID. You only had a few instances of this before. We had that concert back in March or April with all these that was organized where you had live music. But I think honestly, if you're doing a virtual convention, I do not know how you can do it better than the DNC. Of course, people may know, not love every single segment, but there were times where I got emotional from the segments they had. I mean, these were real people's stories about the way that the Trump administration impacted, impacted them and their, their families. I mean, the, the, the daughter of the man who died of coronavirus because he was a Trump supporter and didn't believe the science Just it it hit me, and uh, of course the the viral now the now viral video of um, Brayden the the young boy in New Hampshire who had a stutter who Joe Biden helped. I mean these are real people with real stories, and I think the DNC did a really good job mixing the speeches with the segments. I also really enjoyed the roll call. I thought the roll call I thought it was really good. It was really upbeat. It was fun. Everyone in different locations. Um, Even though some of the the videos were better than others. I mean I thought it was a really good. Time to show America that you know what. At this point, we we're all separate, but we actually are together, and we're all in this together. So, in terms of planning, and you had everyone in the right places at the right time, you had no real snafus in terms of that I watched on TV. Um, everyone basically, I mean, some people started before they actually really should have started, but that that's a small thing. I don't think you could have done a better convention the way they did it. So, kudos to the DNC team. Josh, what are your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think one thing that did not work, and I'm glad they kind of did away with this after the first, after the first uh, night, was people standing at, at a podium I don't think worked too well. And so I'm glad that the Democrats made the change to, instead of being at, at a podium and talking very stiff, to actually go ahead and sit down in your living room, sit down on a couch and, and make the point that way. I think was was a really nice touch. There was a talk of whether we'll go back to the old conventions, you know, uh, quote unquote. And I don't know if we will or not. We we probably will. There's just so much television money and ratings involved in old conventions. But um, things that you mentioned, Hills, the roll call we should keep, the bringing in people like uh, the, the real people who have been affected by this president, we should keep those people in there these short little videos, these montages, keep those in there. There are things in there that that were very popular that we should keep moving forward.
1: Yeah. And I, I think conventions in the, the future are probably going to be some blended type of, they're probably going to keep some of the, the aspects of gathering people in, in person because the speech is always so much better when you have people reacting to it. But I think I think some of the digital format definitely worked. And I think Going forward from now on, we're going to see a more of a blended type of thing where you have more digital shorts, digital pieces, and less speeches for the entire night. I, I think it worked yeah. for them this way. Do you want to go the, the last winner of the DNC?
0: Yes. So the last winner of the DNC was diversity. There was lots of diversity amongst the people who were interviewed, uh, the people who spoke, people uh, who hosted Kerry Washington, people who kind of like hosted that, that, that whole, um, and they kind of ran as the moderators. The issues that were talked about, I mean, they talked about every issue possible. Uh, there was something in there for everybody. And they had real people connect to the issues and how it affected them. Um, and also, this is one of the first times, or maybe the first time that I can imagine that the women actually had more speaking time than the men. Right, The number of, of women speakers who spoke um number of women who were interviewed about how this uh, president has affected them. There was just so much diversity. It's not something that the RNC can match because they don't have as wide of a, of a party as the Democrats do. So diversity was a huge winner. And it's it good that it was a winner for the, the Democrats.
1: Yeah, I mean, you, you saw America. You had indigenous Americans. You had black, white, every color. You can every color and every creed you could probably think of, except... Yeah, I mean, I don't think Muslims got a prominent speaking role, but still. That's you, true. You, but you still had, like, there they they were multiple different people of different backgrounds in videos all the time. They made sure, I remember, there was a segment on local legislators, right, local and state legislators, and they were black, white, they were brown, um, people of color, every sort of uh, women, men. I mean, it was really, it really looked like America, And I thought it was really good. I tried to be as inclusive inclusive as possible when you have a purely digital convention. And I think in the future, obviously, I think the DNC should will will and should allow more time, speaking time, um, our people of color as well. But I think if if you're looking for a comparison between what the Democrats have done and what the Republicans are about to do, I mean, you actually have leaders in the Democratic Party who are people of color. And the people that you're probably going to see in the RNC are just— there are one or two of them out of a mix of all whites, white people. I mean, yeah, I, I think the diversity was a really strong showing for Democrats. And I think they really tried to do as best as they could. So that's a big winner for the convention.
0: Hills, why don't you go into who the first loser was <laughs> uh, in the DNC?
1: Well, loser <laughs> at the convention. <laughs> loser number one is the biggest loser of them all, which is Trump. And <laughs> <laughs> Trump, obviously, he got hammered. He was experienced exposed as a con man as someone who is irresponsible someone who can't meet the moment someone who is unempathetic someone who has no plan for you and your families um i just i mean he got hammered at the dnc and the dnc did a great job of defining him and how much damage he's done and the picture of the the you know what has happened to families because of trump and honestly, the, he's going to try and revive, revitalize his image during his convention at the RNC. But I don't know. I think, I think the Democrats did a really good job of trying to define him and, and you know, pointing out a lot of the really impactful um, things that have happened to people because of his administration's policies. So he is the biggest loser of the DNC this year.
0: It's true. And we can't talk about Trump being a loser if you also don't mention his campaign. Ah, uh, his campaign has set up this persona that Joe Biden is, uh, you know, old senile man and can't leave his basement. Uh, and they really, I mean, use it. What you're supposed to do is set the bar, you know, uh, for your own campaign low and set the bar for the opposing campaign super high, right? They did the opposite. They just set the bar low for everybody, um, and they look like fools now because Biden gives a speech. And all of a sudden, their their message of he's an old senile man, he can't put two sentences together, uh, completely goes out the window. So that was a very very stupid attack by them. Um, and I saw an article, you know, the other day where Trump advisors in in uh, to themselves, not to Trump, because you can't tell him the truth. Uh, but amongst <laughs> themselves, were like, were, we're like, oh God, you know, that was a huge mistake. And their only solution was, well, the good thing is that the expectations for our own convention are also super low. So they're just setting the bar low across the board for everybody. Um, And it backfired on the DNC when Joe Biden gave up and gave a hell of a speech. So the Trump campaign is definitely uh, some losers. I think the bar
1: is kind of high for the RNC. I mean, if you can't produce something almost as good as the DNC, everyone's going to say that the RNC was terrible. I mean, they're going to say it was it wasn't produced well. I think the DNC did yeah. a really smart thing by going first and really spending time on this. So, uh, I totally agree with you. I, I I'm waiting to see how the RNC even comes close to the DNC in terms of their formatting and their digital shorts and everything. The third loser of the DNC, which I think we kind of agree on, are progressives. Kind of. So let let me explain about that. Progressives obviously didn't w- didn't lose because Joe Biden is coming, has a compromised platform. Uh, he came with Bernie Sanders supporters, and he's supporting a lot of progressive things. His platform's actually one of the, the most progressive, if not the pro- most progressive in the history of Democratic platforms. However, some losers, I mean, this was Joe Biden's head of the party. I mean, AOC got a one-minute speaking slot where she nominated Bernie Sanders instead of a speaking slot kind of like, John Kasich, who had at least a few minutes of speaking time. So uh, it was definitely an intentional moment there. I can't say it was a good or bad thing, but probably was a bad thing if people who were (laughs) I I think there probably should have been more time for progressives at the DNC, although they tried their best for some people. Bernie had a big role in the convention and gave a great speech and Kamala is a progressive. But still, I mean, you definitely didn't have as many progressive politicians speaking during the DNC as as maybe some other folks have gotten time, which that's why I say kind of, because they were certainly included at the DNC, but they weren't given a prominent role, which could be probably intentional to to try and defend themselves against the Trump narrative that Biden is a puppet of Bernie Sanders, which is just stupid.
0: Yeah, uh, I think that's absolutely right on. Progressives might feel a little bit slighted um, after the DNC. Uh, The last loser is a bit controversial for people, so... Before you rage-tweet at us, just, you know, hear me out. I think Bill Clinton comes off as um, a loser in the convention. And let me start by saying that Hillary, I thought, gave a really good speech. Um, Her speech was very concise. It was good. Uh, I talked about 2016. She gave a really good speech. But the Clintons themselves are such a polarizing figure. People either love them or they hate them. And as we saw in 2016, more people tend to hate them and would prefer to vote third-party or vote for for Trump, despite her winning the popular vote. But party now is more diverse. It's more uh, led by African-Americans and minorities. It's more led by females, which is great. That's the way it should be. But that's different than when he was in office in 92 and 96. It kind of feels like this should be Bill Clinton's last time at the DNC. Um, Every time that, you know, the the, uh, morning before he was about to speak – there were pictures of him on Jeffrey Epstein's island. You know, now turned out that there was a picture of him on Epstein's island getting a massage from one of Epstein's victims. Now, in the picture, uh, after doing some research, it appears the client who was the masseuse was 22 years old. so She was of age. Um, she also offered it and she was a professional masseuse. So it's not as bad as it looks, but just that kind of stuff, right, hurt the Democratic Party. That's part of what makes the Clintons so polarizing. And so I really think this should kind of be Bill Clinton's last one. He did a great job in 2008, great job in 2012. You know, I think we need to kind of retire from the Clintons and just focus on the future of the party, which is more diverse and more female-led um, than any time in the past. So um, now you can send all your age tweets at, at, at to us, but uh, but I just feel like this is kind of Bill Clinton's last hurrah.
1: I just pressed send on a tweet, Josh. You do not want to look <laughs> at your, your Twitter feed right now. How dare you? <laughs> no, you're, you're, you're right. I, I don't think his speech was particularly convincing. I mean, it was unmemorable, to be honest with you. Unlike, I still remember part of twenty twelve speech he gave for Barack Obama. I mean, it's very different. I would have appreciated Bill and Hillary Clinton doing a message together in, like, the same room. Mm -hmm. He is a Democratic president, and he once commanded the party. I do think his role should be really thought out in future conventions. I mean, he'll be older by then, so, you know, it may have to be, you know, they did a voiceover for Jimmy Carter because I don't think they could put him on video. But— I, I did like Hillary's speech speech as well. I feel like they should have done something together, but you're correct. We're a party that has moved past the leadership of Bill Clinton for, for right or for wrong, um, and they should definitely think about how he's going to be utilized going forward. And the fact that he had an unmemorable speech, Clinton less so, Hillary less so, because I, I did think she did a good job, but that's a that's a loss in itself. So I think they could have handled him better in whatever capacity that was.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. Um, and then quickly Hills, let's just, uh, go through some of the messages that we liked at the DNC. The first one being, uh, the the union message, I think playing up the importance of unions and throwing your support behind them is huge. And it plays well in areas like Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio, all very competitive States right now. Um, It was lacking a little bit in 2016 with Hillary as the nominee. I think it's a much easier pitch to make for Joe Biden, um, to make that union pitch. Um, I think it was a good message. Try and bring back like that white working class vote um, that left the party in 2016. Uh, Three Course Politics approves of the union message at the DNC.
1: Three Course Politics loves the union message. And I think obviously the union members itself may skew towards Trump. But I think as many union members in these Rust Belt states, Midwestern states, as you can get, will offset Trump's margin and will lead to a Joe victory. So I think they need to continue with their strong union message. And I loved the segments with the union members talking about how Trump has hurt them in their unions. So excellent. Uh, another message that we loved was the light versus dark imagery that Joe Biden used. I think this really was helpful in painting Trump as the, the dark and obviously as as Joe, as a pure good figure, someone who's who's kind and thoughtful, and I think it's something that we're probably going to see going forward uh, that Trump is just a person who's just evil, and uh, it's another way of just defining someone, especially to these independent voters who, at the end of the day, that's who Joe and Trump are are competing for. They're competing for a very small slice of the electorate and trying to rip them to their sides. So. I think the light versus dark really helped the define definition of, of Trump.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that light versus dark is, 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 is huge. The third message is the real Joe with real people. All the personal stories the boy who had the stutter, the woman who met Joe in the elevator, um, whether he had conversations with people via Zoom about police brutality, the healthcare crisis, the uh, economic crisis, hearing from someone like Audie Barkin. There are so many real stories, I think, tugged at the heartstrings of people. And I think that's something that we should continue with moving forward. It's the strength of Biden's, the empathy he has, the ability to care for others, um, and how he just interacts and uh, helps out ordinary people, I think is huge. And we give two big thumbs up of showing Joe Biden interacting with real people who are affected by the choice of this president.
1: Yeah, I thought those were the best moments, honestly, of the, the, the DNC, because Trump doesn't have those moments at all. Yeah. <laughs> and the last message we really liked was reframing Trump's action, actions to show the destruction he's had. The, this is really simple and something that Democrats have not done over the past four years, but I'm glad that came up in the DNC. The, the, the young lady whose father died, the impacts that the and joe biden mentioned this in his speech the payroll tax cut was really a way to fund social security and medicare easy message for seniors in florida and seniors everywhere very easy message because and as as trump will say this is just a temporary tax cut seniors know what this is and they're not going to like it one bit you know whether it's the farmers with trade wars with china former trump supporters saying they were wrong and made a mistake these are really good messages to show to people that, hey, no matter what you see in Fox News or anything else, people are hurting because of Trump. He's becoming he's a bad president with bad policies. Elect Joe Biden, he will help fix this. I mean, if you're going to underscore impact, this is the way to do it.
0: You know, there was talking about um, the woman whose father died that you mentioned earlier, Hills. You know, there were farmers talking about trade wars with China. And I really, having former Trump supporters, even people who were in the military, who said, I was wrong. I made a mistake voting for Trump. I will not make that mistake again. I'm going to be voting for Joe Biden. I think it's huge. You know, I think that's, that's all important stuff. And like you said, just showing that his actions have consequences. Yeah, I, I think uh, those are the losers and the winners from the, the DNC. Uh, more positives, I think, than the than, uh, than negatives. You have your Life Under Lockdown section coming up next. This session is all about streaming services. As some of you may or may not know, uh, Disney remake of Mulan is uh, it was supposed to appear in theaters, but given COVID-19, it is going to be on Disney+. And you can pay a premiere fee of $30 to watch the movie as many times as you want. So, Hills are you going to pay $30 to watch Mulan?
1: Uh, The answer is no. (laughs) But see, Josh, I have Disney Plus. Do I need to pay an additional $30 to watch Mulan?
0: You sure do.
1: Even if I bought the service of Disney Plus? Yep. But $30 is more than I would pay to go to the movies to see it.
0: (laughs) True, but if you factor in, like, popcorn and, like, drinks... And maybe you want to see it in in, in IMAX, you know. And so, um, I don't know. You need
1: to get like four popcorns. (laughs) You need to like your ticket is what going to be like below twelve dollars, twelve to fifteen dollars, maybe closer to twenty. You need to buy like a big popcorn and like a smaller drink to get close to thirty. I don't know. Drinks at my house are free.
0: (laughs) But what if you are taking that special someone to go see Mulan and you're paying for their ticket? Mm. and you and and if they're to date they're going to want popcorn you know so you're going to break even essentially
1: I, <laughs> i'm just so you're kidding. telling I think, me this is a good deal you're telling um, josh do you work for the milan movie
0: uh i work for the trump campaign and let me tell you the art of the deal says it's a good deal <laughs> so it's probably a bad deal <laughs> it's probably a terrible <laughs> deal um hills i know that you had a gripe about hbo max though
1: I do. I do have a gripe about HBO Max. Um, I mean, HBO Max, I was looking at signing up for it because it's got really cool content there. But it's like $27 or something. It's insane. And also, I think they've like had a bit of a snafu with all their other streaming services, like Go and Now and all that stuff. But HBO Max is like, oh, I'm sorry. It's, four, it's $15 a month. I was wrong about the initial price. <laughs> a month, though, you're paying for Hulu at $4.99. Netflix is about the same price, but even Disney is $6.99. This is double the price for all of it. I mean, I don't know. It seems very excessive,
0: and uh, I have a feeling they're going to bring their price down. So here's here's what's crazy to me is I have HBO. I have the subscription through my TV. Um, So I'm, I'm able to stream things on HBO Go. And I wasn't going to get HBO Max because, I agree, paying extra is just ridiculous. On July 31st, I got a notification on HBO Go that said, we are ending the HBO Go service. Uh, Switch over to HBO Max for free. And it was three steps. It was download the app, sign in, and then watch the content. So I've, I've had to pay nothing for HBO Max.
1: But you technically already pay for it through your subscription.
0: I did, but my subscription is, is not
1: $15. Mm. So, everyone, go get cable, get a subscription <laughs> to HBO, and then you'll get HBO Max for free. Also, there you go. I have one more gripe Peacock, which is NBC's uh, streaming service. I wish it would come on Roku. It's currently on limited platforms right now, but we really? have it, and I would love to watch it if it's on Roku. I think they're, they're negotiating currently, but I hope they negotiate quicker.
0: Because Peacock is free, isn't it?
1: It is free, but we have the version um, where there's no ads. So, okay. But it is free, but you probably have to watch a lot of ads.
0: All right. Well, that has been Your Life Under Lockdown because, let's be honest, there's not much to do besides watch uh, TV. Maybe you'll rent Mulan when it comes out. Maybe you'll get HBO Max. But uh, we will check in with you guys uh, in our next pod.
1: For your dessert today... We're going to be talking about the 2020 RNC and how much of a shit show it is and will be. And we're also going to throw in a little Steve Bannon, a little sprinkle of Steve Bannon in there. So let's first talk about the RNC. So first of all, we're recording this episode over the course of two days. So you get a little bit of the past, present, and future. So uh, we watched, we maybe watched some clips of night one of the RNC. It featured speakers like Donald Trump Jr., Donald Trump, <laughs> uh, Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, Matt Gates, Kimberly Gufoyle, lots of other conservative figures like Charlie Kirk, who opened the convention. Night One, I didn't watch all of it because I didn't want my blood pressure to rise. But of course, we have a me- very memorable speech by Kimberly Gufoyle, who basically shouted into the, the microphone and made it seem like she was a dictator somehow. I got very fascist vibes from her. That is juxtaposed with really good speeches, at least reportedly, from Tim Scott, who's senator from South Carolina, and the only black senator, Republican black senator of the GOP, and um, Nikki Haley, who was uh, ambassador to the UN and former governor of South Carolina, who gave really good, I think, really solid speeches in terms of their Republican politicians more conventional-wise, and they're trying to position themselves for 2024, likely. Josh, what do you think about that one?
0: You know, I think night one was certainly very, very different from the DNC, night one. Um, you know, I also did not watch a whole lot of it because I didn't want my blood pressure to go through the roof. But, you know, I think <laughs> something that is, is funny about um, the RNC is that every single night features multiple people with the last name Trump speaking uh, and having primary speaking roles. And that's a little bit different. From the uh the, the, the DNC, I think uh both Nikki Haley and Tim Scott are normal Republicans, and they're able to give a more normal speech. From what I w- heard and was reading, it seems as though Tim Scott and Nikki Haley both did a very good job. But that does not it doesn't balance out the crazy stuff that uh Don Jr. said. I mean, Don Jr. was up there talking about how. The Biden campaign is against freedom of religion and freedom of thought and freedom of speech, because they're allowing riots in the street. <laughs> just, you know, just just full of right. lies. So.
1: <laughs> what do you say? They you can't go to your church. You can't go and pray. They want to forbid you from going to pray in your church, but you can go out and riot in the streets. Okay, please. First of all, one of you can. We're not allowing anything. And like. You don't go to church because it's a massive convergence of humans yes. in a pandemic. Don,
0: so, <laughs> Don and it's indoors. said the Biden campaign is not allowing people to go to church, but they're fine with chaos in the street. And then he ended his speech by saying um, how we can have literally anything that we want. We can have literally whatever we want, but only if we elect his father.
1: Only if we put our faith in <laughs> one man to rule us. Right? That's what a democracy yeah. is, isn't it? Right? Put your homes in... Dr- he will make it possible for us, Josh. Leader Trump. But, <laughs> Josh, you're right. So, the, the RNC night one has shown that if the... and We're, g- we're going to go through what nights two, three, and four look like, uh, according to their schedules. But, I mean, it's it's basically the Trump show. This is not a political party anymore. It's the Trump party. And uh, I, think, I think it's really concerning if I was a Republican. I mean, even... I loved Obama, and I, I like Biden, and I you know, too, but it's not the Obama and Biden party. They have a party platform. You just look at the roll call. The roll call was all white men, essentially, for the Republicans. Meanwhile, you had really good imagery from the Democrats of, like, people who look like real people, <laughs> and you just have old white men for the Republicans. Uh, we can take you through a little bit of what the schedule looks like. So for tonight, which is Tuesday... Um, you have Melania Trump, uh, you have Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, you have Senator Rand Paul, you have Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds, and then you have Eric Trump and Tiffany Trump.
0: So that's just that, that's perfect. Everyone named Trump uh, on Wednesday. You've got Mike Pence, Joni Ernst, Marsha Blackburn, the governor of South Dakota, Kristi Noem, um, and then Kellyanne Conway is supposed to make some kind of speech. And then you have Laura Trump. So that's great. Um, you know, that's what you want. And then Thursday, it's a big day. That's when Trump himself will officially give his big speech. Although he's supposed to appear every single day, you also have Mitch McConnell, Tom Tom Cotton, Kevin McCarthy, Ivanka Trump, Ben Carson. You know, I mean, this like like you said, Hills, it's it's the Trump show, and they're going to spend the whole time trying to convince you, not only um, they're really just going to try to convince you that Biden is bad. And they won't put out a plan for the future, but to say we have to have law and order, we have to have freedom, and that is what Trump will give you. There's there's no policy. There's no message there. It's all just Biden is bad, Trump believes in... Yeah, and you can look at this, you know, the schedule, it's like a motley crew of the worst people
1: in the Republican Party. The, the All of the speakers here have either yeah. gone to bat for Trump or have placed their careers on Trump, and that's why they're speaking. Like... Elise Stefanik and Lee Zeldin of both of New York and different types, they were out in front during the impeachment hearings because they wanted national profile for Trump. And that's why they're getting a speaking slot. I mean, just it's honestly, if this was a nightmare, I don't know how you
0: can make it worse. <laughs> it's a little surprising that Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz are not sp- to speak.
1: Yeah, especially since they both have been going to bat for Trump for quite some time, and, and Marco Rubio is on the head of the Senate Intelligence Committee now, so maybe that's why he decided not to—so uh, so good of him. And he's so he holds his spine up when it's about speaking at a convention.
0: So the other thing we should talk about is that while the RNC is going on, the Democrats are doing something. Uh, they are going to be buying up huge ad blocks in these swing states. Uh, so every time there's commercial before, after, or during— You know, there will be a Biden ad or a DNC ad or something. And they're also going to have virtual grassroots campaign rallies at at the same time. And maybe Biden can even use uh, when Trump speaks to uh, have a little bit of a fundraiser, uh, raise some money. The other thing I want to say about the RNC before you get to see Bannon is that what I watched last night, it wasn't, I watched on CNN, it wasn't a continuous event, right? You would have a speech say Don Jr. Speaks. And then you cut back to the CNN panel, and they talk for five minutes. And okay, here, here here comes Tim Scott. Tim Scott speaks. Cut back to the panel when he's done. There was so much back and forth between the panel; it it was it was very choppy, right? Um, the, the DNC maybe they had one little commercial break at around the ten o'clock, right before primetime started. But you have people tuning in, right? The, the general audience tuning in at ten o'clock to the main channels. That's when prime time is for all the speeches, and it's so choppy. You've got a speech for ten minutes, and now we're going to go to the panel. No one wants to hear what Wolf Blitzer has to say. No offense to Wolf Blitzer, no one wants to hear what Wolf Blitzer has to say about analyzing Don Jr.'s speak speech. Like you want to see a continuous message, right? And they can, they're not doing that. They can't do that, right? Because they they threw this together last minute because Trump was insisting on having a rally up until a couple you know weeks ago, right? So
1: yeah, that's the, the
0: DNC. The DNC choosing to have a straight two hour event right, and then get analysis before and afterwards makes it seem so much smoother than the Republicans having speech break, speech break, speech break. It feels choppy. It doesn't feel like it is uh, as well done as the DNC.
1: Yeah, I'm wondering, like I didn't watch it, you know, I, again, I didn't watch any of it. But... I wonder if it's um, some of it was like CNN just cutting back during some some of the videos, but they didn't do that for the DNC. They only did it like once in a while for the DNC. So I'm, I, it must be like a commercial break because they didn't have the content there,
0: right? Well, and so Trump insisted on having everyone do a live speech because Michelle, you know, he hit Michelle for doing like a, like a pre-recorded speech, right? And with the live speech, speaking in they're all speaking in DC. You have them walk out, they give their speech, and they walk back, and then there's a, there, there, there's a break, right? They have to get the next speaker up there, and they have to have their speech ready, and it's it, it, it's very very choppy, right? They don't have little, they don't have a ton. From what I saw last night, of a little like video clips, they have like one or two, but not a lot, right? And it just shows how rushed this convention is.
1: And the production value. I mean, one of the questions we had, and we said this in this episode, is how are the Republicans going to compete with the Democrats on the convention? And the answer is they're not. They're just gonna, just gonna do it their way. It seems like, so if you if anyone wants a good laugh or if they want to get scared or you know feel inspired to vote for Joe Biden, please watch Kimberly Guffoyle's speech, and cool. you will be a Biden supporter before you know it. The best is yet to come. Uh, <laughs> uh, one last thing I want to we want to leave listeners with is about Steve Bannon. You know the the criminal mastermind. Of the right wing and you know, very racist guy who helped Trump go to victory and loves white nationalist movements. Steve Bannon got arrested. He got arrested on a yacht by the Postal Authority, which I didn't know they had agents on the Postal Service for embezzling money for a fund called We Build the Vault Wall, which was a private effort to su- supplement. The federal government's efforts to build a wall with mexico they arrested him on the yacht he used from the money they fundraised for for the wall so he they were embezzling money so the guy was taking money from trump's base to fund his own ego and now is arrested and in jail and i think if you want a really good you want a photo that will after you watch kimberly the will make you feel great again uh not the maga type but <laughs> we're gonna put a link in the show notes of the photo um of steve bannon it's the sketch of him in court and he is he's is in handcuffs he's got his eyes welled up it is a very rewarding image to look at the show to see that um <laughs> he's finally gonna get locked up for embezzling lots of
0: money oh yeah this is he's a terrible person and this was such heartening news um just he's taking money from people to build this wall, right? And then, you know, he they, they raised like, I mean, it was millions of dollars, it was like $25 million or something. And then he took a lot of that and got himself a boat and jewelry and this and that. I also highly recommend that everyone go watch the John Oliver uh, episode from Sunday where he talked, goes into a lot of depth about uh, Steve Bannon. It's on HBO Max Hills, by the way.
1: Oh, oh, okay, so I have to pay fifteen ninety nine to watch it.
0: <laughs> um, but no, it, i mean Carol human being, I'm glad this meant him.
1: Well, and I hope he goes to jail and now uh, another bright side is that he won't be able to help the Trump campaign, so <laughs> there's that. Yeah. So I think it's a really good dessert and if you if you wanna if you're watching the RNC this week, Godspeed to you. <laughs> Godspeed to you, indeed. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and uh, we're going to give you the answer to your pre-dinner shot. So, again, the question was, how many people attended Obama's nomination acceptance speech at the 2008 Democratic National Convention? The answer is 84,000 people. If you remember this, Obama held his acceptance speech at the home of the Denver Broncos in their football stadium to accommodate the amount of interest people wanted to, to have in the first black man accepting the nomination for the Democratic Party. 84,000 people were in, were in attendance that day. I remember watching it on TV. The whole stadium was packed. So that's the biggest, uh, the biggest attendance for an acceptance
0: speech ever. Although Hills, I have to say, uh, 84,000 people, they weren't wearing masks. There was no social distancing. Uh, I think Obama doesn't care about the coronavirus.
1: I think so too. I think he made the coronavirus at the
0: 2008 speech. There it is. In 2008, Obama conspired with with Q from QAnon and 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 China to create this virus that he was that he was going to put out right in 2020 to hurt Trump. There it is. Hills, we solved the case. We solved it. Ja,
1: case. Would you? It's called CoronaGate.
0: <laughs> <laughs> CoronaGate.
1: I wish a, I wish I didn't have to know who Dr. Fauci was. I wish I didn't know yeah. who he was. Honestly,
0: I know, I know. Let that man live a quiet life and just peacefully save people. Sadly, Trump won't let that happen. Um, Hills, anything, anything else before we go?
1: No, I think uh, I think this wrapped it up today. Vote for Biden. <laughs>
0: there you go. Well, before you go, a few important messages. The intro and outro music is done by Brett Hillsberg, and transition music by Joseph McDade. If you enjoy, please hit the subscribe button on your podcast app. It really does help us out. Tell your friends uh, to listen. And if you can, share this episode on any social media platform that you have. If you have questions, email 3 at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back in your podcast feed soon. Bye, everybody.